Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be hearing this message. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition, actually yesterday's edition, I'm sorry, of Bible Bites, as we get caught back up today um, by God's grace. So this is episode 333, and we were reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 4. So let's talk a little bit about that and let's introduce this book. The book of 1 Corinthians is Paul's letter, uh, one of his first. It's actually the first one recorded in Scripture, but not necessarily the first one he ever wrote to them. And the reason for that is because of something he says in, in one of the chapters here. But it's Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth. This was written about 56 A.D. after the church had been established there for about four years, since about 52 A.D. Corinth was a major commerce city linking trade between Italy and Asia, under Roman control, of course, and it was a very pagan place. They worshipped Aphrodite and had a lot of pagan worship and a tremendous amount of sexual immorality and idolatry there. It was filled with it, as a matter of fact, and with lewdness. Because it was a great trade place, it was multi-national, uh, multi-cultural. Uh, there were many ethnicities there, um, many different kinds of people and cultures of people. And Paul had established a church here with Priscilla and Aquila about 52 A.D., and we find that recorded for us in Acts chapter 18. He ministered there about 18 months, setting up the church, establishing it, and trying to teach them and ground them. And so now Paul had received a couple of letters from different people about various problems in the church. Uh, immorality, sectarianism, and abuse of gifts were the primary focus of those uh, letters he had received. So Paul writes this letter, and you will hear in here, he's very authoritative, um, somewhat stern and firm, because he's he feels that they're his children spiritually. He feels that he's a father to them. He feels a, a level of responsibility to bring discipline and correction to this church. Um, he is acting as if he were, in a sense, like a doctor performing surgery to address root causes of a severe illness. This has some strong doctrinal truths here, but it also deals with a lot of Christian living and moral truths and principles. And I want to correct one thing from an earlier broadcast in uh, Romans, and we were talking in there about Christian liberty about eating and drinking and different things like that. Um, and we were talking, I was talking about um, us having liberty on non-doctrinal issues, and that is correct. We are to agree on the doctrinal foundations of the Christian faith. But in many areas of non-doctrinal areas and, and activity and living principles, we do have some freedom and some liberty. However, what I want to correct is that the Bible is clear about certain items that fall into that non-doctrinal category. 
certain items of Christian living. For instance, God is very opposed to us having any kind of immorality in our lives. That's one issue. We are not to be people who will lie. That's another area. Certain things that are um, expected of Christians in daily practical Christian living apply to all. However, there are other freedom areas that we can disagree on, and that's what we were really talking about in that episode. But I did want to clear that up because you'll find in these epistles several times where, you know, even in this we will read today where Paul says, flee sexual immorality. In other words, it's very strong, very clear. There is no um, leeway. There's no way for us to disagree about that. It, it's wrong, period. And it still is to this day. So there are things that the Bible speaks very clearly about that may not fall into the doctrinal category, but they do fall into the Christian living category that are still expected of all people. But there are others where we can have various personal convictions and disagreements about this, he also gives in Corinthians here, in 1 Corinthians, a great treatise about Jesus' resurrection, and he devotes an entire long chapter to explain that to us. So let's dig in. Chapter 1, we hear and we read that this is written by Paul to the Corinthian church. And then he begins, he begins with hope and appreciation and encouragement for them, and he encourages them to trust God, that he is faithful, by whom he says, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, you know, uh, it's kind of a sandwich method. It's kind of a, um, you know, here's the good uh, and the positive. I know you're Christians. I know you love Jesus. But now we got to get into the meat of what's wrong and get it fixed. And so that's what he begins with next. So now he goes on in verse 10, and he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So then he goes on and he talks about the issue of sectarianism. Um, there were those that were saying, Well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter, and I'm of Christ. The truth was, Paul was saying to them, is that Christ is not divided. Paul, nor Peter, nor Apollos died for them. Not one of them was crucified on their behalf and could have been because none of them were perfect and sinless. None of them, Paul wasn't out baptizing in his own name. It was all about, Paul is telling them, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross of Jesus. It's all about him and him crucified. So his call to action to them is be united in him. Don't be uh, contentious about who you, know, who you like and who you favor. Don't, we're not in competition. He was talking about him and Paul, Apollos and Peter. We're not in competition with one another. He says, clearly, Jesus is what matters, period. <clears throat> and then in verse, um, he goes on, and he talks about the wise versus foolish in the things of the world versus the things of God. And he talks about how God uses 
nobodies, so to speak, or strange or foolish things because he has a higher wisdom. He chose a bunch of unlearned disciples. These weren't skilled in Torah. These weren't wealthy people. Maybe maybe Matthew might have been wealthy or whatever, but, but for, for the most part, these were fishermen. They were average people. They weren't well-known. They weren't well-skilled. And yet Jesus chose them. He chose to die on a cross. He chose to be humiliated. He was the king of kings, and yet he allowed himself to be humiliated. All of this seemed foolish, but in fact, it was very wise. In a sense, God beat the devil at his own game, so to speak. He used the death sentence that was brought into the world through the, through the entrance of sin by the temptation of the devil, which demanded wages of sin be paid, and those were death, and he used that very death sentence to destroy sin's power because of the resurrection which overcame the devil because the grave couldn't hold the righteous one. The grave, the wages of sin, had no power over the holy one who had never sinned. And so the grave could not hold him. Therefore, he became the first fruit of all of those who believe. And our resurrection is tied in with his. And we'll understand more of that when we get to chapter 15. He says that the purpose is that no flesh can boast in it. This is all God's doing. It's only God's wisdom that brought this to pass. And none of us can boast about it. So he says the summary of this is that we are all in Christ and no one else. And Jesus, he alone, is our wisdom righteousness, sanctification, or the one that set us apart in, in holy and uh, special ways, and he is our redemption. He's the only one worthy of glory. And he concludes with quoting Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. In chapter 2, Paul continues. He talks about how I didn't come with earthly wisdom and High-sounding words, I came preaching Jesus and Him crucified. And that is still the core of the gospel that we are to preach today. Hallelujah. And it takes the Spirit of God to reveal these things. In verse 9 and 10, he talks about how uh, he's quoting from Isaiah here. And he says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, yes, the deep things of God. So it takes the spirit of God's revelation to bring us in to an understanding of all that God has for us. Because God wants us to know the free gifts and his grace that are afforded to us. He tells us that in verse um, 12 of that same passage that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God wants us to understand them through the Spirit of God. And he teaches us that spiritual discernment is available because we have the mind of Christ as Christians. We can have that spiritual discernment. And beloved, today we need that desperately. I want to read you a few of the beginning chapter uh, verses of chapter 3. Excuse me. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, 
for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul and another, I'm of Apostle, uh, Ap Apollos, excuse me, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? He's addressing the fact that after four years being established as a church, his heart is breaking because they are still spiritual babes. They haven't really grown up in the faith. They're living carnal lives. They're allowing worldly ways to enter them. He goes on and he talks about how each one of them, in verse 5, he begins to talk about who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you received, you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Praise God. So he's saying that each one of us are just simply ministers. We're just mere people that God has called to preach the gospel and to help make disciples. We've been gifted by Christ. Our focus is on Christ. Our works are for Christ in the different ways. I might plant, he might water. Glory and blessing of the fruit is from Christ, and he gets all the glory. Praise God. And so he's saying that each person has to work, and as they've been directed by God, and they will receive the reward for that work. Then he goes down, and I want to read you these few verses. Verse 10 and 11, he says this, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying here, I established this church. Yes, I laid the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ and his gospel and his doctrine, period. And others are building on it. But then he gives them a warning. He says, everyone, everyone, and this is still true today, no matter where we are and no matter what field we work in and no matter what our calling is, this is true. We must take heed to how we build upon whatever foundation in whatever field we are laying or we are working on. We must be careful how we build. So he doesn't leave us hanging. He goes in chapter 12, I mean in verse 12 through 15, and he explains how to properly build upon the foundation. He answers that for us. He says this, in verse 12, now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it endures, in other words, endures the fire, 
the test of the fire, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as so as through fire. All right. This is speaking of the Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. We will talk a little bit more about that because he goes into that again. He mentions it again in Second Corinthians, his second book um, that's recorded in Scripture to this same church. But he's explaining the how. And what he does is he puts it in terms we can understand. In other words, there are some that the way they build, the how that they use, is going to be with gold, silver, and precious stones. There are others who are going to build using wood, hay, and stubble. However, everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what your work is, everybody will face the day, which refers to the judgment day for the believers. That is the judgment seat of Christ, and it is the Bema seat. It is not something for the Christian to fear. It is rather something for us to um, appreciate because Jesus will reward us. It's kind of like um, heaven's awards day ceremony. But there will be a testing of everything we've done in this life. The testing will come through fire. The fire will reveal whether it was of gold, silver, and precious stones that can withstand the test of the fire or whether we built with wood, hay, and stubble, which is going to be burned up by the fire. That's going to be the test. So he says that if it's burned up, the person is suffering all that loss, but the person is still saved. The thing we've got to understand is that the judgment seat of Christ, this day, this judgment day that he's speaking of here, is only for Christians. No one else will be there. Everyone that's there is those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They've been, they've been washed by the blood of Jesus, and their home is heaven, period. However, the test and the fire and the works that we've done will be tested, and that will indicate some of how we live throughout eternity in heaven. And we don't understand all that there is to understand about that. We only can surmise certain things about it from what the scripture tells us. For instance, it says that those who come through the fire with gold, silver, and precious stones will be rewarded. Now, there are other places in scripture that give us clues about the kinds of rewards that may be ahead. First of all, Jesus gave us two parables. He gave us the parables of the talents, which indicated that if we're using our talent for the Lord, he will grant us more. If we're bearing fruit, we'll increase in our fruitfulness. Now, that may apply more to this life than to then, other than the fact that we'll be rewarded at that life, at, in, in that day when we stand before the Lord. He also gave us the parable of the minas, which gives us um, a clue as to some delegated authority, possibly over the millennial period at the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That may be when this is um, applicable when we, because he says that, you know, certain ones will have authority over certain amount of cities, 10 cities or whatever the case may be. So there may be some delegated authority that is part of the reward that we are granted. The other things that are mentioned in scripture are crowns. And there are several different types of crowns that are spoken of in scripture. 
these may be part of the reward. And there are other places where, for instance, Jesus said, if you give a cup of water to someone who is thirsty in my name because of me, because of my love, sharing my love for them, then it says you will not lose your reward. So we do not know exactly all of the rewards that will be given, but we do know that they will be granted to those whose works were of gold, silver, and precious stone. Now, to me, one way to possibly consider the difference between the gold, silver, and precious stone versus the wood, hay, and stubble are motivations. What is the motive for doing it? Are you seeking your own glory? It's, if so, it's wood, hay, and stubble. Are you seeking truly the glory and honor of God? Are you doing it for, for Him from a pure heart, from a heart that's grateful, etc.? Those are some of the ways that we can understand the difference between those two types of ways that we can build on the foundation that Paul is talking about here. Now, I also want us to remember here, and he picks this up in another place, but in verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. In other words, he's trying to get them to understand that, that holy living is expected because we are the temple of God. We bear his name, and we are the the um, the representation of God in the earth. And so we need to remember that as well. Now, he goes into uh, chapter 4, and he speaks about us and what, what our responsibilities are. And in essence, he's saying, listen, we, we're just stewards. Everything we have has come from God. God owns it, and God has delegated a certain responsibility to us. And our job is to be faithful stewards. We are to steward it well so that when he comes, we will be found faithful over what he's entrusted to us. Praise God. And I want you to notice that even in the parables that, that we mentioned a minute ago and other things, the rewards are always going to be based on faithfulness, not on amount. We, if, if you're given five talents versus two talents, you're not going to be expected to do the work that five talents would require because you weren't given that. So God's, he's not unrighteous. He's going to judge us based on what we were given and whether we were faithful with that or not. And he's going to reward all that are faithful stewards with whatever they were given. Praise God. He speaks also about not being judgmental toward other people. In other words, we don't need to have any kind of competition or judgmentalism in us at all. We need to entrust all of that to God. God knows and he reveals everything in his time and in his way. <clears throat> he also brings out here in verse 7, what do we have that we didn't receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, we've got to keep our right attitude about the fact that, hey, we're just servants. We're just stewards. God gave it in the first place, and our responsibility is to do what's right and recognize that it all came from him to begin with. Praise God. We find Paul's fatherly heart recorded here in verse 14 and 15. He says this, I do not write these things to shame you, 
But as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. You hear his precious heart coming forth. This is the heart of a father who knows he has to discipline and correct his children, but it breaks his heart to do so. He doesn't want to. That's the heart of a father that loves them. That's the heart of a true shepherd that cares about their spiritual growth and their maturity. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. And then he goes on in verse 16 and 17. And he says this. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. That's in 18. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul is saying here, choose the right people to model your lives after. Choose those who are also living the same way they're telling you to live. They're trying to and striving for holiness, striving for what is right. Notice he was the same no matter where he went. He was preaching the same thing and living the same way. And he's encouraging us to follow godly patterns of living. Choose true characters, true people of character and integrity to model your life after. Good words for all of us to remember as well. May the Lord bless you today. And I pray you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you in Jesus' name.